0: Amen. All right. Let's open with the word of prayer and let's dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us tonight. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all God's people said, "Amen." Amen. All right. By way of quick review, uh, chapters nine and ten of Second Kings, we saw Jehu, who came, a, who God gave a one of the prophets, a nameless prophet, went and anointed him as king. And then he went and killed uh, Jehoram, who was the king of Israel, and Ahaziah, who was the king of Judah. And what was happening in those days, remember that because of the sins of Solomon, Israel was torn into two pieces. The 10 northern tribes were known as Israel. The two southern tribes were known as Judah. Judah was where Jerusalem dwelt. If you will remember that early on, uh, Jehoram, by, by that same name, or Jotham, he had put places to worship in Israel so that people would not go down into Jerusalem for fear that they wouldn't come back. And they were worshiping golden cows. You know, over time that they had set up uh, altars to all the false gods, including Baal. We'll look more at that tonight. We saw the end of the chapter. So Jehu had done well in a lot of ways. He brought about the righteous judgment that God had upon uh, the kings who had fallen away from the Lord. If you'll remember, every single king in Israel after Solomon was evil, all of them. And what's amazing is they were the kings over God's people and they were all evil. Most of the kings in the south were evil as well. And so Jehu was faithful to bring about the righteous judgment that God had placed upon these kings who were turning his people away from him. And at the end of the last chapter, we saw that he died. So if you have your outline, grab it. We're going to pick up where we left off in in chapter 11. And I really, really love this chapter, but I love every chapter because the Bible rocks. Amen. But I titled the message, Living for Something Worth Dying For. And we're going to look at five points. Let's go through them quickly, and then we'll dig into the text. First of all, may we simply obey when God calls us to intervene or step out in faith. We're going to see some people in tonight's text some of whom you may have never heard of. You may have read through the Bible many times, but these are probably not names that you're going to have held in your memory. And we're going to see one name, one person, who God used mightily. She's just mentioned in a fleeting moment in tonight's text. And I just love how she's an example of somebody when she sees something that needs to be done, she steps out in faith. And we need to be those kind of people. Can I get an amen to that? We need to be people who are praying for divine appointments, looking for opportunities to share our faith, and then being available to be used for God's kingdom and for his glory. Sometimes it's in the smallest and seemingly most insignificant things that can have an impact on eternity. Number two, there are times when God will call us to take a stand for him in the face of evil and worldly opposition. You're not living if you're not living for something worth dying for. You know, there are going to be times when we are called to rebel against those, the world, the government, whoever, who may set a standard or call us to do something that contradicts the word of God. Romans 13 says to submit to the authorities God's placed over you. But when those authorities are challenging our faith, are are exhorting us or threatening us to stop making God the priority in our lives, that's when there is a time for us to rebel. So there are times to take a stand again against the world and even against against evil. Number three, knowing that we are fighting for what makes all the difference. You know, meeting the king of kings changes everything. We're going to see in tonight's text that there's going to be an evil queen who's going to step up and she's going to take authority. And for six years, she's going to reign because the people think there's no option. And we're going to see that one of her grandchildren, she killed all of her grandchildren so she could be queen. She wanted to make sure that there were no heirs left but her, so she could take the position and be on the throne. And that's kind of what happens in the lives of, of people today. We want to be on the throne instead of putting the one who belongs there, which is the Lord. She's on the throne, she never belonged there. and we're going to see that after six years they're going to find out there is an heir who's been hidden. And when they see who the heir is, when they meet the king, we're going to see these men get great courage. And guys, when we know the Lord, we can have great courage. When we know the Lord, we can step out in faith instead of being, instead of walking in fear. We're going to see the King revealed, publicly recognized. This is a picture of how our relationship with the Lord. We need to recognize Jesus for who He is. Then we need to hold on to the Word of God. We need to recognize that He's on the throne, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and praise Him. Then we're going to see number four, putting the flesh to death removing anything that competes with the Lord for the throne, priority, and passion of your life. Guys, there are things in our lives that are not in and of themselves evil or sinful, but if we make them the passion of our life above the Lord, you know, it's been said that which is good is the enemy of that which is is best. And our walk with the Lord, now again, we should be, most of you guys all know I have a full-time job. had a full day today, like most of you did. And I love my job. I love uh, the customers that I serve. But you know what? I love Jesus a lot more. And I want to do my job as unto the Lord. And I want to honor God. But if if there are things in your life that are distracting you from the Lord, and I'm not, well, I guess I'm going to quit my job because it's distracting. No, it's not what I'm talking about. Things that draw you away from doing all that God has called you to do. If those things are in our lives, we need to put them to death. And then lastly, I put, not just dying to the flesh, but surrendering to the Lord. It says in Romans 6, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When you have serious repentance, here's what takes place in your life. You will burn the bridges that would lead you back to the sinful things that you've walked away from. You won't just carry them along with you. You won't uh, just put them in arm's reach, but you will literally do whatever is necessary to keep yourself from going back into that old way of life where the enemy wants to drag you. So let's begin by looking at living for something worth dying for. May we simply obey when God calls us to intervene or step out in faith. It says, When Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, She arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. Now Ahaziah, if you will recall, was also related to King Ahab. But he was the king of the south. And after Jehu killed the king of the north, he also killed the king of the south. So at this moment, there are no kings in the north or the south. Now the mother of Ahaziah, who was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, so Ahaziah was the grandson of Ahab and Jezebel. We know we talked about that they are the most wicked uh, king and queen who ever lived, because the Bible says so. And so in their evil and in their wickedness, they had a, a son and they had a, a daughter now named Athaliah. 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 Okay. That's his guess. There it is. Athaliah. So Athaliah has a son, Ahaziah. He, she finds out he dies. You would think the next verse would be that she was mourning. You would think that she would be heartbroken. You think that she would want to know what happened and why. Instead, she starts killing all her grandchildren. She starts killing everybody related to her son so that she can take the throne for herself. Now, this is the ultimate picture. I can't think of anyone more self centered in the history of the world. Can you imagine a grandmother killing her grandchildren? How hard-hearted, how evil, how wicked must this woman be? Well, she's taken after her mom. Jezebel, who we talked about, broke her name because she was so evil that no one uses her name ever again. She was a bad influence on her husband and also her son. Her son was evil. Her husband was evil. She's evil. And so she goes about killing her own family members, And the reason that she's doing that is she wants to have an opportunity to take a position that doesn't belong to her. How many of you even knew that there was ever a queen over Israel who ruled and reigned over, well, actually over Judah, and she rules and reigns for six years. She's actually on the throne, takes the throne that belongs to the king because she wants the position, because she's filled with pride, because she's self-centered. She cares about nobody but herself. By the way, Just for a marriage counseling point, guys, God has called you to be the spiritual leader in your household, and you do not want to abdicate abdicate that position. You want to make sure you are leading your household. Too often, women have to lead because their husbands won't, amen? And so in this case, she's taking a position that doesn't belong to her, and she's willing to do whatever it takes. How dreadful is this lust of reigning. It destroys all, everything that matters in life. It becomes the priority and the passion above everything else. Now, in the midst of all of her plan, she is gonna be heavily successful in a sense of wiping out many of her grandchildren. But here's what you need to understand. Through her line was the line of David. And through her line, she was wiping out many of those who were related to King David. David. And we know that the word of God has already said that through the line of David would come the Messiah. So not only is this an evil plan, but ultimately it's a satanic plan. Because what does the enemy want to do? He wants to destroy. He seeks to kill, steal, and destroy, but especially the, the line through whom the Messiah would come. Satan was lost, but he knew the prophecies of the word of God. And certainly he knew Jesus very well because Jesus is the one who threw him out of heaven. So she seems to have it all. She's in a position of great authority already. And I think, again, the plot comes from Satan. She is her mother's daughter. Now watch, as she's out killing all of her ancestors, everybody that's in the line of the king, so that she can take this position. And look what it says. Now watch this. But Jehoseda, Jehoseda, Jehoseda but Hoseda, Probably never heard her name before. You probably won't remember it. If I came up to you before church and said, who's Jehoshita? You go, I have no idea. And I'll be honest with you, before I studied it this week, if you had asked me that, I would have said the same thing, okay? Because I've read it, but you know, when you're reading through the Bible in a year or you're reading it through it in six months, you cover a lot of ground. But when you're studying it and preparing it, it really kind of becomes a part of you. So Jehoshita, here she is, and she's this anonymous woman, we don't know a whole lot about her, but she sees what's happening. She sees how all the heirs of the king are being put to death. And she sees this evil plot that is taking place and watch what she does. The daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah. So she's Ahaziah's sister. We know from second Chronicles, she has a different mom. So, uh, the, the queen that's trying to become queen and put on the throne. That's not her mom. I guess it's her stepmom, if you will. So she knows that her brother is dead. She sees that they're trying to kill all the heirs to the throne. And watch what she does. It says she took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And they and they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah so that he was not killed. Boy, it's amazing how in scripture you see some things repeated. When you see this happening here, who in the Bible does this remind you of? Moses. Don't you remember? Moses was God's appointed and anointed deliverer. But long before he was a deliverer, even before he became a prince in Egypt, we saw God divinely protected his life. And here God is divinely protecting Joash's life. I'm going to give it away. He's going to end up being the king. But he's being protected and praise God for a woman who saw what was happening and she stepped out in faith, no doubt knowing that it could cost her her own life. If she had come out and they had found out that she was hiding this child, no doubt she would have died. But she recognized that there was, you know, she was living for something that was worth dying for. That she recognized that this poor innocent child who was her nephew with somebody that did not deserve to die. And she saw the evil and the wickedness going on all around her, and she made a stand. By the way, I just found out that a law passed in Texas today that if a baby has a heartbeat, you can't abort it, so that's at six weeks. So praise God for that. And they're all up in arms. We can't kill our babies. It's so tragic. It's evil. Praise God that somebody stood up. Amen? Amen. So evil people like Athaliah will begin their work, but God will always raise up somebody before it's over. Here's the good news. Evil may reign for a time, but in the end, God wins. Amen? And we need to be encouraged that in the midst of when evil is surrounding us, that God is still in control. So this likely half-sister of the king who had been assassinated by Jehu, put to death because of his evil behavior, He has this lineage again that includes uh, King David and Athaliah, not of the line of David. It's interesting. She's not, but her son was. And evil plans again, God wins. Now watch what happens, verse three. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years, while Athaliah reigned over the land. So Athaliah is now the queen of Judah. What's amazing to me is remember, it's so easy to read scripture and to forget how these all link together. These are the people that God delivered out of bondage in Egypt through using Moses as a deliverer. These are the, it's their ancestors that were at Mount Sinai where the word of God was given to them. It's their ancestors that passed through the Red Sea. It was their ancestors that wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and then they entered in over the Jordan into the land of promise. It's their ancestors and their 12 tribes that were given the land and God gave them victory over giants in the land and they were worshiping God. And then sadly, as a few generations went by, They got further and further away from the Lord to the point that there was more worship to Baal and Asheroth and all the false idols than there was worship to the true and living God. This woman, this queen, does not worship the Lord. So this was a great place to hide a baby in the temple because she ain't going in there. Can I get an amen? (laughs) You know, if you're worried about running into... You know, the drug dealer who used to cause you to stumble, just come hang out at church. He probably won't show up. And if he does, we'll just hope he gets saved. Can I mean? So here she is. She she's in an environment. He's put into an environment. And this reminds me of Samuel. If you remember, Samuel was dedicated to the Lord by Hannah as a baby. And for the first six years of his life, he's literally hidden inside the temple. You know, in some of the rooms that were used by the Levites, wherever he may have been. And no doubt he was learning the things of God and he was being taught the truth and he was being raised up and it was all preparation to be king. And here's his evil grandmother. That sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? His evil grandmother, the wicked stepmother, right? the evil grandmother who was ruling and reigning in the land. Now, one of the things that's interesting is as she was ruling, the people thought there was no option because they knew it must come through the the line, the correct line, and and there was no option. There was nobody else. Who else can we get? What else can we do? There was also great fear, because this queen was evil, a, a vile murderer, and somebody that struck fear into the heart of people. And so they have no option. They have no alternative. And Josephus tells us uh, that the bedroom where the nurse and the child hid uh, was where the spare furniture and mattresses were stored. So they're back in this little room and she's raising him from an infant and he's growing and we're gonna see here that he becomes a seven-year-old boy. So he was a year old when this happened. He was taken away and God's protecting him. So God is, is a, a blesses us in that he will watch over us. So this young Joash grew up in the temple Uh, probably helping uh, in little ways when he could uh, with the priests, a great place to grow in the knowledge of God, as well as a safe place to hide from an evil queen. And while Athaliah reigned over the land, this evil queen reigned over Judah again for six years, be encouraged whenever evil reigns, it's never permanent. Amen. Now, the Bible does say in the last days, things will grow worse and worse. But all that means is we're that much closer to the rapture of the church, amen? And then the millennial kingdom when we come back with the Lord. I'm looking forward to being on this planet for a thousand years with the Lord on the throne, amen? No debates, no, no fake news, no nonsense, the word of God being taught and almighty God on the throne, amen? But here's the point, he can be on your thro- in the throne of your life right now. You don't have to wait till the millennial kingdom, He desires to rule and reign in your life. So Athaliah is reigning, has no idea what's coming. And by the way, often when people live in total rebellion against God, sometimes they'll think that it will never end. We know that God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And righteous judgment is coming. Point number two, along with may we simply obey when God calls us to intervene or step out in faith. Who did that? Jehoshaphat Jehoshaphat Heba Lord help Jehoshiba Jehoshiba she stepped out we're not going to see her much more in the bible maybe never again but Jehoshiba she stepped out saw that what was happening she got this little baby no doubt led by the lord she takes him away has a nurse they care for him they watch over him they protect him and praise god that she stepped out amen Because he is going to be the king. He's of the line of David. He continues the line that's headed to the Messiah. How could she have even known? She couldn't have possibly known that her little act of faith would have such a huge impact on eternity, but it did. And guys, sometimes we have no idea how that little act of faith that we take, where the Lord prompts you to pick up the phone and call somebody, or you see somebody in the grocery store to talk to them, uh, or you know, wherever you may be, and God will bring around that divine appointment, and you have no idea how God may use that in a very big way. Now, not as big as this, but you know, most of you guys know I did a memorial service to one of my assistant pastors from Santa Cruz, on Saturday. And it was joyous because we know he's in heaven and heaven is better, amen. And he's doing better than all of us. But what was amazing was that for the first 45 minutes we were there, everybody it took we started 45 minutes late because everybody was hugging each other. Because there are people I hadn't seen in a dozen years. A lot of them had attended the church I pastored in Santa Cruz. And every time you turn around, you saw another person that you love, a person you've spent time with, a person that you have the Holy Spirit in common with. And I said, boy, this is what heaven's going to be like after we get, put our eyes on the Lord for a thousand years. We're going to turn around and be hugging everybody up there. Amen? And I look forward to that. It's going to be a family reunion. Amen? But quickly, a brief story about Joe. So Joe and I met at work when I met Joe at work, I didn't like him. I said this at his memorial. That's not usually a good way to start things, but I said, I didn't like him. We were on the company softball team. This is in 1996. We're on the company softball team. I'm playing left field. He's playing shortstop. And every other word out of his mouth is filth and foul and foul and filth and filth and foul. And then he starts taking God's name in vain. And our office had several hundred employees. I'd never seen him before. He was in telephone sales. I was in a different department. And I looked over to the general manager. Who's the knuckleheaded shortstop? Who is that guy? Oh, that's Joe. So I go into the dugout. I go, Joe, bro, I don't appreciate you cursing my father. I don't like that, bro. You need, to, you need to knock it off. And he was like, oh. And he got real, you know, oh. Okay, okay yeah, I'm sorry. So about, I had a, we were teaching a Bible study at work. And about three weeks later, the Bible study, we had a very large conference room we had to use because there was a lot of people coming to the Bible study. And I would go in there early on Tuesdays to set up for the Bible study. And I went in there and Joe was sitting there. I figured he was lost because I said, I said, I said, what are you doing here, bro? We have a Bible study in here. You can't eat lunch in here. You got to go. And he said, well, actually, I'm here for the Bible study. I said, oh, okay. Praise the Lord. And I remember I was teaching Daniel chapter 3. I was teaching through Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Taught the text verse by verse. At the end of the message, he said, Hey, we still have a little time in our lunch hour. Can we go across the street and get a slice of pizza and talk? And I went across the street. We're sitting in the, in the uh, booth there. And he looked at me and he said, I don't know if I've walked away from the Lord or I've never known him, but I grew up in a Christian home. And I haven't been walking with the Lord in a long, long time. What do I have to do to get right with Jesus? And I prayed with him right there and he was weeping and he gave his life to the Lord. And he started attending Calvary San Jose where I was an assistant pastor. And three weeks later, I was teaching on a Sunday because Pastor Don was gone. Churches, you know, a couple thousand people in the sanctuary. And he said, my wife wants to talk to you. I went into the cafe and led his wife to the Lord in the cafe. And then he came and said, I hear you're going to plant a church wherever you go, we're going with you. We went to Santa Cruz. He came with me. And after several years, he, he, we just watched the Lord doing a work in his life. He ended up getting ordained in that church, became one of my assistant pastors. And then we sent him out to plant a church that exploded. God used it mightily. And then he ended up getting cancer at, four, at 47 years old. He went to be with the Lord. But here's the point I'm making is that small divine appointment on the softball field. I didn't even know his name. And I didn't like it much when I, heard, when I, found, when I met him. But guys, sometimes... God will take these small divine appointments that we don't recognize how God will use it in eternity. And if we all look back on our own lives, we will see times when God brought people into our life that changed, that God used to transform us. Amen. And praise God for Jehoshiba. Praise God that she saw, she knew him, she was risking her life It was her evil stepmother who was killing everyone. She rescues her nephew. She steps out in faith. Point number two, there are times when God will call us to make a stand for him in the face of worldly opposition and evil. It says, in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the hundreds of the bodyguards and the escorts and brought them into the house of the Lord to him. And he made a covenant with them and took an oath from them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. Now, this is an amazing event. Now, Jehoiada, he's, a, he's one of the priests. He is the husband of uh, Jehoshiba. So she, he brings him in. The priest takes him into his house. Some time goes by and everybody believes that there is no option. The day finally comes where Jehoiada, moved by the Holy Spirit, no doubt, calls in. Now he does it on the Sabbath, we're going to see in the next verse, because on the Sabbath is when they would change out the guards. So there would be a period of time where they would have twice as many captains and guards uh, there at the temple. So he brought them all in, and he gathers them all together. And as the captains are there, and he's exhorting them, And he's encouraging them and telling them. He brought the captains and the bodyguards. He brought them into the house of the Lord. And he made a covenant, a promise with them. And they took an oath from them in the house of the Lord. And then out came the king's son. Now, the king's son is seven years old. My grandson Bentley was here last Sunday. He's seven years old. I'm not sure I want him to be the president. But if the Lord... I I, I know what you're thinking. Okay, but... So here he comes. And what's interesting about this is that when the the king came out, all these soldiers, all these captains who oversaw hundreds of men, as soon as they saw the king, they knew there was an alternative to this evil and wicked queen. And when they saw the king... And they recognized that God's hand had delivered him, and he was the one that was of the line of David. And this was always God's ultimate plan. You know what it did? It brought courage and strength into the hearts of every one of these captains and all of their men, because they knew this was God's plan. And when they saw it, what did it do? It it, it got them excited. It got them ready to do what was necessary. They were ready to die for this little boy who they had just met because they knew that God's hand was upon him. Guys, when God calls you to do something and you know it's the Lord, it will bring you incredible courage to do it. Amen? It's amazing how when you know that you're doing what God has called you to do, it's such a get-to, not a have-to. It's such a joy to serve the Lord. And it doesn't matter from the world's perspective, it may seem like a small thing, or it may seem like a great thing. But when you're doing it for the Lord, there's a joy, and it's a get-to, and it's never a have-to. Amen? And these men, I just imagine them looking at each other as they're standing there, In the rooms around the temple, and and in comes this the young king, and he's standing in front of them, and now everything has just changed. And guys, Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And here's the reality: when you're introduced to him, that's what everything in your life changes. Amen? And that's exactly what's taking place here. Again, he's not the, the king of kings, but he there's the king, and this is God's plan. And they make a covenant right here on the spot, they make a promise that we're in. They take an oath. They're going to die protecting this this young man. They're going to stand for him because they know that this is the one that God had planned for. Again, notice the source of their motivation. They show them the king's son. Looking to the king, that's what motivated them. The guys, us looking to our king is what should motivate us. Everything we do we should do for the glory and the honor of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I remember when my kids were first born, and my, my baby girl, Ashley, who is now 33, as most you know, married to a pastor's wife, who planted a Calvary Chapel in Colorado, has four boys: Titus, Ezra, Zion and Judah. No, they're not a pastor's family or anything. But what's amazing is, I remember the first time I held her that it made me I was already a guy who worked hard, but it made me want to work even harder because I was providing for her and my wife, of course. And, and throughout everything I did, I wanted to be a better man because I was her dad. I wanted to be a better father. I wanted to be, you know, Lord, you've given me this precious girl. Lord, I want to be the best I can be for her. But even more importantly, for doing that for my daughter, I want to do it for the Lord. Amen? So whatever we do, let's do it full strength. When I was at the... at the uh, memorial service. A guy walked in who attended our church in Santa Cruz when it first started. He'd also attended the church in San Jose. He had pastored a church in Hollister and the church uh, didn't, you know, he pastored it for several years and I think it got small and they kind of closed it up. And it was the Lord. I just walked up to him. He was signing in. I hadn't seen him in years. I hugged him and his wife. I put my hand on his chest and I said, bro, God's not done with you. God called you, he's not done with you as long as you're breathing in and out. And by the way, you might have a time to unwrap that pulpit that's in your garage that's been retired and start using it again. And I'm gonna be praying for you that God will open a door that you can be used for his kingdom and his glory. And I wanna say that to everybody here. If you used to serve in ministry and you've backed away, God is not done with you, amen? As long as we're breathing in and out, God's got a plan for us. And I love this picture. Here these men are. Everything has changed. They've been introduced to the king. In our lives, everything changed when we were introduced to the king of kings. Verse five, then he commanded them saying, this is what we shall do. One third of you who come on duty on the Sabbath shall keep be keeping watch over the king's house. One third shall be at the gate of Sir and one third at the gate behind the escorts. You shall keep watch of the house lest it be broken down. So here they are. They're gathered together. They're all given a, a portion of how they're to serve. Notice it says in verse six, again, it says in verse six that, and you shall keep the watch of the house. So here they are. And one third of them would guard the little boy directory du- directly. One third of them would guard the east gate into the temple, the gate, sir. And the last third would guard the southern gate into the temple. And so here, this is God's plan, but notice how a lot of different people are a part of what God's plan is. Every one of us has got a different gift. Again, I may have gifts you don't have, so I can minister to you, and you have, may have gifts I don't have, so you can minister to me. See, the, the body of Christ is not all it can be if people who are called by God are sitting on the sideline. When they would move in the wilderness, As soon as the pillar of cloud or fire moved, they would move. They would wake up in the morning and look to see if the cloud moved. And if it moved, they all had all all the Levites, all the different families. Some of the families carried the boards, some of the families carried the furnishings, some of the families carried the draperies. And what would happen is they would just get up and do what they were supposed to do so that they could rebuild the tabernacle right under where the glory of God dwelt, wherever He led them. And the same needs to happen with us. See, sometimes we sit back and think, well, There's so many gifted people in our fellowship. God doesn't need to use me. I promise you that you've been uniquely gifted by God. And if he brought you here and this is your home church, he wants to use you and we want to do everything we can to allow you to be used. I'll tell you what, we are not, uh, we don't want to hold on to all the ministry here. That's not our heart at all. We want to give it away. I would love to see everybody in the church using their gift because guess what? Those who serve the most are the ones that grow the most. And we're also the ones that have a great amount of joy. And I want you to experience it yourself. Look at verse seven. The two contingents of you who are off duty on the Sabbath shall keep the watch of the house of the Lord for the king. So they would just, their whole focus was keeping their eyes on the king, making sure he was safe, never turning away, not being distracted. I think that's a great message for all of us. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's not get distracted by the world. Let's not get so caught up in politics that we lose faith. Let's not get so worried about all the stuff going on around us. The good news is no matter who's in the White House, Jesus Christ is on the throne and we can worship him. We'll never vote him out of office. That's where our focus, where our passion, where everything lies. It's the Lord whom we follow. Verse eight, but you shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapons in hand and whoever comes within range, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king as he goes out and as he comes in. So when the king moved, literally, he was surrounded by guards who protected him. And if anybody got too close, they were commanded to put him to death. The king was going to be protected. The king was going to be watched over. And I love this because the Bible tells us that we entertain angels unaware. I love the picture that we just saw not too many chapters ago where Elisha was with his, you know, his second in command and he was scared half to death and he prayed, Lord, just let him see. And his eyes were open and he saw the angelic host and chariots of fire surrounding them. See, if God is for us, who can be against us? One godly person, a thousand will flee from one who's walking with the Lord. And so here they are, they're surrounding him. He's protected by almighty God. We're indestructible till God's through with us. Point number two, there are times when God will call us to take a stand for him in the face of evil. You're not living a a life. You're not living for something worth dying for. These guys were willing to die for this, this child king. They were willing to do it because they knew this was God's plan. And there's nothing, no greater blessing than knowing that you're in the center of God's will doing exactly what God wants you to do. There's inc- I've shared this a couple of times. I'll share it one more time. Won't hurt some new people. My son, who's my youngest son, who's 28 years old, asked me just a few weeks ago, he said, dad, if you could do anything, what would you be doing? you know, Dad, God's blessed you in your job. You've been a pastor. Where, if you could be, where would you be? What would you be doing? And I said this without hesitation. I said, I'd be doing exactly what I'm doing right now. Pastoring Calvary Chapel, Canal Valley, being married to your mom with the kids and grandkids and the job that I have, because I know this is exactly where God wants me to be. And I pray for all that you would all have that peace, that this is where God wants you to be. Amen? Godliness with contentment is great gain, amen? We need to learn to be content right where we are. You need to just take that Zillow app off your phone and quit looking at houses in Montana and Texas, okay? (laughs) If God calls you to go, by all means go, but we need Christians to stay here, Amen? amen? Number three, knowing that we are fighting for what makes all the difference. Look at verse nine. So the captains of the hundreds did according to all the Jehoiada, the priest commanded. Each of them took his men who were to be on duty on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave the captains of hundreds, the spears and shields, which belonged to King David that were in the temple of the Lord. Now this is awesome because David is 200 years earlier. And so they're about to go out into battle and I just, you know, like I played college football. And I know what a rah rah locker room speech is like. And I just imagine they come marching in and they're about to go out into battle. And they start taking down the spears and the shields off the wall that belonged to David and, and the men that followed him and said, Here, you're going to take these with you out into battle. Here you go. Here you got David's spear and they all knew that David was a mighty man of God, that David, he was the the greatest king that Israel ever had. And now they're holding in their hands that same armor that he used or those same weapons that he used. And it brought a great amount of, of courage. But guys, guess what? We have something in common with King David. We have the same Holy Spirit living inside of us. And that same Holy Spirit boldness that got him to fight 11 foot 750 pound Goliath when everybody was scared to death is the same Holy Spirit that is in you that will be with you at work tomorrow. When you enter the building tomorrow, the Holy Spirit just showed up. You know, when you're dropping the kids off at school or you're in the grocery store, wherever you may be, if God is for us, who can be against us? And praise God, that same Holy Spirit dwells in us. And guys, that should give us such peace and such joy to know that the third part of the Trinity lives in you and lives in me, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. And these men have this armor in their hands, this armor that had belonged to King David. And again, imagine arming yourself with David's armor and the courage that it would bring to you as you headed off into battle. Verse 11, then the escort stood every man with his weapons in his hand all around the king from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple by the altar in the house. And he brought out the king's son, put a crown on him and gave him the testimony. They made him king and anointed him. They clapped their hands. Long live the king. Boy, I love this because here's a woman who is taking a position that doesn't belong to her. And when they recognize the true king, they don't even bother dealing, they're gonna deal with her. But they don't get her permission, they don't worry about her. They worry about being faithful to what God has put in front of them. And here's the reality, here's an application for our lives. Before you gave your life to the Lord, you were on the throne of your life. You were the one who ruled and reigned. You were self that was on the throne, and the Lord was set aside. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you removed yourself from the throne. You put Jesus there because he's the only one that belongs there. Amen? And once the Lord is on the throne of our lives, we don't need to worry about the things that were on on the throne of our life before. We needed to see those things put to death. We need to walk away from those things. And again, they knew what they were fighting for and it gave them great, great courage. Now I want you to see some points here that I wrote down. They, meeting the king changes everything. But you'll notice in these short verses, the first thing they do is they got to see the king. Oh, wow, the king. I didn't know we had a king. I thought, all, all the, I thought they were all gone. Well, this is amazing. There's a king. And not only did they see the king, then they recognized him publicly. He was brought out to the people. They'd been hiding him and now they recognize the king publicly. See, this is part of our process of salvation. First, we recognize that Jesus is who he says he is but then we must publicly recognize him. Confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father in heaven. Deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father in heaven. One way of public confession is baptism. Baptism doesn't save us, but it's an outward statement of an inward change. It's being unashamed of the gospel. It's boldly being recognized that you belong to Jesus. I love this picture. Then they were holding on to the word of God. You know, it's, we see back in the Old Testament, early in the Old Testament, it said that the king was always given, had a copy of the word of God because the king could not rule without the word of God. And guys, we cannot lead in our homes without the word of God. We cannot serve God faithfully without the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want more faith, spend more time in God's word. And I love how the word of God is so, so key in the ruling and reigning of this king. See, it's one thing to be called. It's another thing to step up. And they've stepped up. Not only was he holding on to the word, but they recognize that he is on the throne. They recognize that he is anointed by God. Then they recognize also that after they recognize he's anointed by God, they begin to praise him. And guys, this is kind of that picture. Like I said, so we recognize Jesus for who he is we're publicly recognized, we hold on to the word of God, we want him and him alone on the throne of our lives, we're anointed by him, given a, given a down payment on heaven and the person of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1, given a down payment on heaven. How do you know you're going to heaven? The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Those are ownership papers, that you belong to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and in the end you praise him. Can I say this? If you don't praise him, you don't know him, because he is worthy to be worshiped and to be praised. Amen. Just cannot praise him enough. I'm so thankful for our our Lord, our God, our Savior, and our King. Not only that, he gives us a reason to live. He gives us the power and courage to be faithful in the calling that he has placed upon our life. They made him King. They anointed him. They clapped their hands and said, Long live the King. And I love this because they were not worried if anybody heard it. They were not afraid anymore. They knew that God was for them. And they're going to step out into battle For the Lord and for his king. Number four, putting the flesh to death. Now, Athaliah has been living a pretty, six years she's been queen. No doubt when she thought about it, she thought this is gonna be very difficult to pull off because there's never supposed to be a queen that rules and reigns. It's always supposed to be a king. When the king dies, the queen doesn't take over, the son does. And in her case, her son died. It wasn't even her husband who died. It was her son who died. So through her manipulation, through her slaughtering and murdering of everyone related to her and anybody in the, the line of the king, she's now been reigning for six years. And no doubt, she's beginning to think she's going to reign for the rest of her life. Well, she is going to reign for the rest of her life. It's just not going to be much longer. Amen. <laughs> But this is what can happen, unfortunately, when we're caught up in sin. We can live in a sinful way. We can you know, be, have an addiction or, or a, you know, something that we do constantly. And because there's been no consequences, we almost believe like God's given us permission to continue in it. And while God suffers long, you won't suffer Always. And he's a loving God, a gracious God, and a merciful God, but he's also a righteous God who will bring righteous judgment upon those who continue to shake their fists at him. See, he will draw us back into himself, but we can say no so many times. And eventually, again, we've turned ourselves over to a reprobate mind. We have hardened our heart toward God and righteous judgment is coming. Athaliah, no doubt, is blown away by this. She thought for sure that all the, all the heirs are dead. There's no, there's no alternative. They'll just have to leave me here until it's over. And too often, we can fall into that very same trap, again, of trusting in our own intelligence instead of resting in the Lord. Now, here she is. It says, Athaliah heard noise of the escorts and the people, and she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. Probably the first time she's been there in six years. Because this is the place where sacrifices were made, but we know that she was an idol worshiper. She did not believe in the true and living God. She wanted nothing to do with the temple, but she hear all she heard all the noise. And notice they didn't hide it. Guys, as Christians, we should not be keeping it to ourselves. I love, I've shared this with you. I love to introduce my wife and my kids to people. I love it because I love them. And I would love when my wife would come by my office and I'd, I'd hear 50 times how, man, you are a better salesman than I thought because they would see my wife and know she's way out of my league, right? But I would love to introduce her to people because I love my wife. I would love when my kids would come to the office when they were little and go around to every cubicle and introduce my kids because I love my children. I know you can all relate to that. But guys, you know what? We need to love Jesus more. And we need to, be, we need to have the same desire to introduce him to everybody we meet and let them know that he's the reason I live and move and breathe. He's, the, he's, and you know the good news about, you know, with my wife, she's only going to be my wife, hands off. Amen. But with my savior, he can be your savior too. Amen. It's not just something I keep to myself, it's something I can share with everyone else. And we must not keep it to ourselves. We must not be ashamed of the gospel. Look, if you've been working at your office for more than a week and everybody there doesn't know you're saved, it's time to step it up. Can I get an Amen. Because you know what? When we're living for the Lord, we should live it out loud. We should be unashamed of the gospel. He hung on a cross for us. We can make a stand for him in front of a lost and a dying world. Amen? Amen. Now watch what happens. Athaliah, she's like, oh, what in the world? What in the world's going on? And when she looked, there was a king standing by a pillar, according to custom. And the leaders and trumpeters were by the king. And all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. So Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, "Treason, treason!" I love when someone who's a treasonous, evil, vile person yells treason when the true and living God is at work. Amen. I promise you, no one blew trumpets when she became queen. I promise you, there was no celebration. And she looks down, and it doesn't take but a moment to recognize that that is the king. You know what's crazy? This is one of her grandchildren you'd think she'd want to run and give him a hug. If she ran toward him, they're chopping her off because they know, remember all that? he's guarded. God is for us. Who can be against us? And they're guarded. And you know, she sees what's happening and she cries out treason. Now we'll say this, if you want to get technical, it was treason, but it was treasonous toward a wicked, vile, and evil government that never belonged there. And so it was treasonous, but it was holy because they were standing for what God had designed, not what the world was dishing. Not this evil, vile, wicked woman who had taken a position that never belonged to her. See, God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. He endured this wicked king for six years. And now she recognizes, I'm in trouble. Rebellion is okay in the life of a believer if it's against The world, the flesh, and the devil. Amen. The devil wants to. The the devil's whispering in your. Now again, it's not the. Let me just say this about Satan. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. He doesn't even know all your names. Okay, he's the equivalent of an angel, and he's probably. And there's a good chance he's probably never been within a thousand yards of you in your entire life. Now. Satan's going to go after those being used most mildly by God. So one of my prayers I pray is if he has a most wanted list, I hope I'm on it. Amen? And now some of my friends have said, I hope I'm almost on it because I don't really want him knowing who I am. But here's the good news. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The devil can't make you do anything. Flip Wilson was wrong. Amen. Devil made me do it. Devil can't make you do anything. He can tempt you. He can draw you away. But again, temptation isn't just an opportunity to fall. It's an opportunity to grow. And guys, we know a great and awesome God. And he's greater. And Satan's a defeated foe. So he wants to drag you away. The world, don't get caught up in the world. Let's, let's quit trying to win battles and let's win people. Amen? Amen get on social media, get in a debate about something and you win the argument and then invite them to church right after you're done. Just shredded you, humiliated you. Hey, by the way, what are you doing on Sunday? That's not real effective. Look, we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. But we should be surprised when people who know God act like they don't know God. And we should be representing him and representing him well. Be kind, be loving, be gracious, stand up for the truth. Don't water down the truth. Stand up for it with boldness, but make sure that we do it in love and make sure that people know that we we love them. She reigned for six years, but the consequences for taking the throne that was not hers will be swift and final. See, Jesus Jesus belongs on the throne of our lives. And if we have something else there, someone else there, be it pleasure or money or our careers or anything else, Anything else that we put before the Lord, it may be there for a while, but eventually there will be consequences. And here, this woman has been on the throne, the throne that belongs to the, the priestly line of the king, the priestly line, the line, or the king, uh, royal line, I should say, and King David's line, through whom the Messiah will come. And when someone else takes that place, God takes that seriously. And we put something else in the place where he belongs in our lives. God takes that seriously, and so should we. Amen? We should not take it lightly when we put other things. Shall have no other God before me, you shall serve no graven image as the first two commandments. May we be faithful. Now, watch what happens. So she's realizing I'm in trouble. She cries out, Treason, treason. Now, watch what happens, verse 15. And Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds and the officers of the army and said to them, Take her outside under guard and slay her with the sword, whoever follows her. For the priest had said, Do not let her be killed in the house of the Lord. So she actually wanders into the house of the Lord. There she recognizes she's in trouble. And I, noticed, I want you to notice that they didn't kill her in the house of the Lord because the sacrifices in the house of the Lord were made for the covering of sin. The shedding of blood for the covering of sin. That was the old covenant. It was always pointing to the Messiah who was coming. But guess what? The shedding of her blood wasn't for the covering of sin, it was the consequences of her sin. Amen? She was not a holy sacrifice. She was a wicked, vile woman, one of the most wicked people ever lived on this planet. You don't get much more wicked than slaying your own children and grandchildren so you can have a position of authority. And that's what happens. She gets put to death. Take her outside and slay her with the sword. Guys, this is a picture of how we deal with evil, how we deal with things in our own life. The sword represents what in the Bible? Word of God, it's the only offensive weapon we see in putting on the whole armor of God. It's the word of God. And guys, how do we put to, to death those struggles that we have in our own flesh? How do we put to death those things that begin to rule and reign in our own life? We open up the Bible, we read the word, it transforms our lives. And guys, this is how we have victory over the trials of life, how we have victory over those, the King Agags, those things that we're hanging on to, those sins that we're, that we're allowing to continue on in our lives. We put them to death through the offensive weapon of the sword. We've talked about this at King Agag. You know that story, it's in 1 Samuel, where Saul is commanded to kill all the Amalekites. The Amalekites, God had given them 300 years to repent. They were the ones when they were wandering through the wilderness, the Amalekites would sneak up behind the Israelites, and they were slaying the elderly and the sick that were among them. And God said, I've seen what you've done, and I'm going to judge you. He gave them 300 years to repent, and then what happened? King Saul became king, and he told King Saul, I want you to kill them all. A lot of times when people people read the Old Testament, they go, that Old Testament, God, he's pretty rough. It's the same God, amen? But he gave them an opportunity to repent. They chose not to. And so he kills all the Amalekites, but brings back Agag. And he actually didn't kill all the Amalekites because Saul ends up dying at the hands of an Amalekite. Because again, if you don't put the flesh to death, the flesh will destroy you, amen? Amen. But it brings back Agag, and he's walking around showing off. I've got the king of the Amalekites. I'm your new king. Look at me. And look what I can do. I can bring back the king. Well, that's like bringing back the king of the flesh. It's like born again Christian. You walk away from a lot of the sin in your life, but you hang on to that one thing. You know. But I just, I had a coworker, my boss. She said, "Dave, I give my life to the Lord, but I just love alcohol way too much. I don't want to give up alcohol." And I said, well, you know, it's, it's interesting that it's called spirits. We don't need the spirits. We got the spirit, amen? Be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What are you going to hell for? Alcohol. It's tragic. Well, you know what happened is Samuel comes out and he sees King Agag. And he's standing there in chains. And Agag's worried because at first, he thinks he's in trouble till he sees uh, Samuel probably in his 80s or 90s come out. And he's relieved because it's an old man. And Samuel reaches down and grabs a sword and cuts Agag up into small pieces. Because see, we put the flesh to death by the word of God. Amen. And again, it's amazing that sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. So spend time in the word of God. It'll help and walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So she, she's in trouble. Don't let her go. So they seized her. Verse 16, she went by the way of the horse's entrance into the king's house and there she was killed. So for six years, she was the queen. For six years, she thought she was the smartest person on the planet. For six years, she thought she had the most power, more power than anybody. For six years, she had been an evil, vile, wicked woman. She had slayed her own family in a matter of moments. She's put to death. And as we know, when she died on this planet, it didn't end there. Moments later, she's in Abraham's bosom, and she's, but she's on the side of torment in Hades, She's in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Guys, we're all gonna spend an eternity somewhere. We're all gonna be dead a lot longer than we're alive. So the most important thing we do in this life is what have we done with God's son? Last point, you need to put the flesh to death, removing anything that competes with the Lord for the throne, priority and passion of your life. Not just dying to the flesh, but surrendering to the Lord, verse 17. Then Jehoiada, remember he's the priest who had raised up uh, young Joash, made a covenant between the Lord, the king and the people, that they should be the Lord's people and also between the king and the people. Now, I love this. Joash is the king. He's only seven years old. So Jehoiada is the one for now who's actually in a position of control. When Jehoiada dies, it says in 2 Chronicles 24 that he was buried with the kings. So he's gonna serve as king in a sense alongside Joash. He's gonna guide him. He's gonna direct him. He's going to give him a counsel. And you know what? Isn't that what happens with us? You know, when, when we give our life to the Lord, and it's, it's always true, but especially when we're like new in our faith, the Lord, you know, doesn't just, you don't just get saved and, you know, okay, you're a baby Christian. He will not stick you in a nursery and say, well, your bottles are over there and your diapers are over there and the food's over there. And I hope it works out and walk away. You know, the Lord gives us the Holy Spirit and he walks with us and he, he gives us wisdom and he gives us direction. And here we see that picture with Jehoiada. He's standing by him. In our walk with God, it's important that we learn to put the flesh to death, but that's not where it ends. God wants us to connect with him. See, repentance isn't just putting a flesh to death and walking away from those things that have so overtaken our lives. It's walking away from that and walking to the Lord. It's not just turning away from the sinful life we lived, but it's coming to the Lord and laying our life, you know, laying our lives at his feet and not just making him our savior, but making him the Lord, putting him on the throne, taking ourselves off, our fleshly desires put aside and put the king where he and he alone belongs. It's not just dying to the flesh, but surrendering to the Lord. Sometimes people like to talk about all the things they've given up for God. Maturity is not about what we give up, but about what we commit to. God wants us to be connected to him, not just cut off from the junk of the world. By the way, anything you've given up for the Lord is stuff you needed to give up and was of no value anyway. You never give up anything good for the Lord. You gain everything good from the Lord. And all the people of the land, now look, I'm loving this, watch. all the, Now they made a commitment to God. And he made it before the people with the king and then he brought out the people and the commitment was made between the people and the king and they were all committed together to turn back to the Lord. And watch the first thing they do, verse 18. And all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. Amen. Tore it down. See, this is what happens when you're truly saved, when you get saved real good, as my dad used to say. Dude, that guy got saved real good. Like his life changed, right? When you get saved real good, you know what happens? Stuff changes. You go home and get rid of stuff. You, you tear things down. You don't try to hold on to it. So what do they do? They've recommitted their lives to the Lord. They've surrendered to God. They're, they have a king that is there that God has anointed and appointed. And, and they say, look, we're gonna serve you full on. All oh, the first thing we gotta do is tear down that temple to Baal. Look what it says. It says, they, all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal, tore it down. They thoroughly broke into pieces its altars and images, and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars, and the priests appointed officers over the house of the Lord. They didn't just tear down this place of false idols, but they put to death the one who was leading him in that direction. And guys, it's not, I know it's just an, uh, an application, but some of us, when you give your life to the Lord, there's some friends you need to lose. There's some people that you can pray for, and it's probably not you to minister to them. I've had people come to me and go, "Oh yeah, you know, I was sleeping with this girl for like nine months, and now I'm saved. I want to go witness to her." Uh, not you, not you. No, 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 no. We'll send three gals from the ladies' and women's ministry over there to talk to her. Amen. Not that she's not valued to God, but again. We, there's things that we need to let go of. When you give your life to Jesus, everything changes. You become like you, those you hang out with. Again, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We had a couple get saved at Calvary Santa Cruz one time, and one guy got saved, and the gal did, and they were living together, and, and our sec, his second week there, I said, you know what you need to do, right? He said, no. I said, move out. We'll get some bread. We come over this afternoon. Get your stuff. What do you want to move to? You know, because the reality is that when we give our life to the Lord, we set that aside and they put to death the priest, the one who had been leading them into idolatry. You know why? They don't want that priest to rise up and go build another temple somewhere else. So they put him to death. And we we too need to put our flesh to death completely. We need to burn the bridge so we don't run back to it. Then it says in verse 19, Then he took the captains of the hundreds and the bodyguards and the escorts and all the people of the land. And they brought the king down from the house of the Lord. And they went by the way of the gate of the escorts to the king's house. Then he sat on the throne of the king. See, before he was in hiding, but he's not in hiding anymore. And so, so is true as Christians that when we truly have surrendered our life to the Lord, we don't hide that from anybody anymore. We should not be ashamed of the gospel. We shouldn't be keeping it to ourselves. We should not be undercover Christians. Amen? People should know that we stand with the Lord. Jehoiada keeps the guards around to stay on duty. Perhaps he wants to make sure there aren't any attempts on the king of the temple as payback for what had happened in the temple of Baal. Again, even though we're walking with the Lord, we do still need to keep our guard up. We need, you know, again, not run back to the girl we used to sleep with to witness to her. Let's keep our guard up. Let's keep our distance from those things we may struggle in, especially until we're much more, much stronger in the faith. Now, last two verses. So all the people of the land rejoiced. Now forgive me, this is the youth pastor in me. When I read that verse, you know what I thought of? Ding dong, the witch is dead, right? (laughs) The dead queen, the evil queen, she's dead. They're all rejoicing, praise God. And here's the reality that again, All these people have given their life to the Lord, and because they've given their life to the Lord, they recognize the wickedness of this evil woman more than they ever have before, and now they're rejoicing that God has replaced her with a king that's called by his name, a king that is going to be in the lineage of the Savior. So all the people rejoiced. The city was quiet, for they had slain Athaliah with the sword in the king's house, and Jehoash was seven years old when he became king. They put a seven-year-old in charge, but we know that he's got the priest with him. We know that God is for him. We know that God is going to do great things through him. And so what an amazing chapter, amen? Yes. Bible is good stuff. So living for something worth dying for. May we simply obey when God calls us to intervene or step out in faith. Again, Jehosheba, what did she do? She saw it. She recognized what was going on. She risked her own life to save someone else's. She took away her own comfort to try to reach somebody else and watch how God used her in such a mighty and a powerful way, a way she could not have even imagined. Number two, there are times when God will call us to take a stand for him in the face of evil and worldly opposition. Again, if you're not, li- you're not living, if you're not living with, with, for something worth dying for, these soldiers will to die. Once they recognized that he was the king, they they stood up, they had great courage, and like, look, I'm I'm ready to die for this. I will lay down my life for this. May we lay down down our lives for the Lord. Number three, knowing that we are fighting, we are fighting for uh, what makes a difference. Uh, Meeting the king of kings changes everything. Once you know the Lord, you finally understand what your life's all about. Can you imagine living right now not knowing Jesus? Can you imagine the fear that would be in your life. Can you imagine how confused you'd be? Can you imagine how worried you would be? But guys, because we know the Lord, because we know the Prince of Peace, we have peace. Amen? We just have peace. God's in control. The worst thing the world could do to me is the best thing that could happen to me. You can't threaten me with heaven. Amen? And there's a peace that comes in that. Number four, putting the flesh to death. Remove anything that competes with the Lord for the throne and the priority and passion of your life. If God brought something to mind that's consuming your time. It doesn't have to be anything bad even. It could just be something to be, It's too important in your life. By the way, uh, the NFL is starting a week from Sunday, and we're having church. Amen. Amen. Just saying. I know where all the NASCAR races are now too, you guys, so I'm just saying, all right? Where are you at? Watching NASCAR. They're driving around in a circle. You can watch it when you get home. They'll still be doing it. Amen. <laughs> put God first. And then finally, not just dying to the flesh, but surrendering to the Lord. It's not just recognizing, you know, I've been to AA meetings because I have family members that struggle and it breaks my heart. And if God's used that in your life, praise God for it. And I know God has used that in people's lives. I'm not downplaying that. But the sad part is they talk about how they quit drinking. They talked about how they've been delivered from drinking by talking about drinking. Everybody sits and drinks coffee and smokes cigarettes, chain smoke, and then, they, and then there's no answer in the end. They have a higher power, but it can be a doorknob. That's the biggest bunch of nonsense ever. Now, again, I'm glad, you know, maybe that's what God's using to bring person closer to the Lord. But guys, we don't just walk away from what's bad but, and be delivered from it, but we walk to the Lord because he's the answer. Amen? He's the hope that we all have Not just dying to the flesh, but surrendering to the Lord. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that no matter what's going on in the world around us, you're on the throne and you're a faithful God. And while there may be times where evil seems to reign, like this evil queen, Lord, we know in the end you win. You're a faithful God. You will be on the throne. Lord, we can trust you. May we not panic. May we not walk in fear. May we walk in faith. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on you. Help us, to Lord, to know that what we're fighting for makes all the difference in the world because we know you. And speaking, praise God for the people that shared us, shared, shared you with us. May we share you with others. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to put the flesh to death. And Lord, to keep our eyes on you. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said...